a listen up. Listen up, you advocates. It is episode number eight, and it is your host, Alyssa, on a Listen Up podcast. If you're joining me on a view, my background might look a little different, and that's because I am in the middle of getting a bigger, better, more amazing podcast studio to record out of for all of you. So coming soon on that, next episode will be in the new space. I want to remind all of you that it is Women's History Month, and if you are listening right now and you are a woman or underrepresented gender, I want to remind you, you are powerful. You are amazing. You're badass. You are important, and you matter. If no one has told you today, this week, this month, I'm here to remind you, I am happy that you exist, and you make a difference on this planet. Everyone who exists on this world has power and you choose to use it. You're choosing to use your power right now by listening to this empowering podcast all about advocacy, inclusion, sexy, spicy, fun, cool, positive, but ultimately all about using the power within yourself. So, badass queens, listeners worldwide, we have the amazing author and family friend of mine and personal hero of mine, Tiffany Starrett. She is the author of the novel, Through Her Mother's Eyes, Surviving My Daughter's Murder. She's going to talk to us today about the unfortunate truth of the murder of her daughter that was a result of domestic abuse and violence. And what better time to talk about this other than on Women's History Month? Because we can't talk about protecting women without talking about protecting women from domestic violence because it is one of the leading causes of death and it was the number one leading cause of death of pregnant women is domestic violence from their partners. So without further ado, let's bring in Tiffany Starrett to bring us some power from her personal story. I want to remind all of our listeners before we jump into this interview of rule number one of this podcast, which is a listen up is a safe space. So remember that rule because today we are absolutely using the safe space that a listen up has cultivated. I'm so excited that you are taking the time to share your story, share Allie's story, your daughter's story. The title definitely says what it's about. It is definitely going over the things that we experienced. Not everything, because that book would be a million pages, but definitely the things that, you know, made sense to me to want to write about and to bring awareness to people of what it's like to be surrounded by, you know, grief and what it's like for other people to grieve and Then add in a tragedy that is unfamiliar to anyone in my circle. And so I'm kind of how to mitigate a lot of those things. And then for us, what was what was it like to uh, have to deal with the legal system, which is completely brand new to us? And most people hopefully will not have not and should not experience what your family experienced. So for those who don't know. Allie, we love her. What happened to Allie? 
So Allie, uh, she's 18 and she had her first love boyfriend. She's had a puppy love before, but this was the first real love kind of boyfriend. So we've been there. We've all been there. And we met him. I thought he was a cute kid. He was just a hair older. And, you know, there was nothing in the beginning that I saw any different than that would alert me any sense that a year later, my life would be very different. And, you know, they, they went through what new couples go through and we would help coach them because this is both of their first relationships. And so they don't know how to do that. And so, you know, when they would fight or whatever, we would just kind of coach of, you know, how to listen, compromise. And there was, like I said, nothing, at least for me until probably about six months is when things kind of started taking a little bit of a rough turn. But again, we're like, you guys just don't know how to be in a relationship. At that same time, we didn't really know that she was keeping a lot of things kind of to herself either. So you thought she was being open, coming to you about like arguments here and there, but found come later that there was more to those stories. It's very true. And, you know, I can't be mad at her for that because there are things my mom still doesn't know that, you know, my mom and my relationships and she should never. So, you know, she would, she would turn to her best friend and that's what best friends are for. And not to say that she knew any better. She didn't, but that's um, 18, 18, 19. That's very young. Allie was the type of person that was like, mom, I am noticing some things. I can help him. I know that this is going to get better. I'm going to be there. I want to help be an influencer. I want to be a supporter. I've seen you support, you know, my husband and all that. And so, of course, that's going to speak to me in all ways. Um, But then as the became nine to 10 months into the relationship, things really took a turn. And um, where we saw the true signs of domestic violence where she had come home with essentially a pretty good black eye, if you will. And so we were like, Oh "Oh my God. And I, you know, we were like going to the face is, Mm -hmm. I mean, shameless. Shameless. Absolutely. And uh, do you think things before that one, but that was the first one you saw. That was the first one that we saw. And uh, so she did, she got a protective order and he, he ended up going to jail for that. You know, once, once he went to jail for that domestic violence, you know, she dyed her hair red. She went and got this giant ass tattoo. Oh, and, wow. uh, kind of like me. This is what teenagers do after totally. a breakup. Normal Absolutely. Hair dye, haircut, new break, new girl, new me. <laughs> Absolutely. She was like, she must've been feeling empowered. And um, to make these choices. And I was not thrilled either about the hair color or the tattoo, but he, he, you said that she got a protective order, Mm -hmm. restraining order. He was in jail for a couple months. And then we, so then Allie decided she wanted to join the Navy. I wasn't necessarily thrilled about that either. Cause it was just a come home. I signed up. Yeah. And we're like, Oh my gosh, that is really, have you thought about this? Like really, really? But We didn't understand necessarily the motivation. And until, so she didn't come home one night. Yeah, she was living with us and we're supposed to be going on a walk um, the next morning and the whole family was going to go. We were going to go to Washington Park and um, she didn't come home. 
And we were just like, well, that's not, not typical because she's 18. Right. And so, right. But then it was, she wasn't answering her phone. Things just became where you're like, I'm mad at her. I want to text. Don't send it. I don't know. And it's this whole back and forth until her best friend called and said, did Allie make it home? And we were like, oh, oh boy. And so then we tracked her phone and um, she happened to be at 6th and 225 at uh, the motel. It's no longer there. It was a crime scene. What we believe happened is that she was going to go and tell him. She's showing up with her red hair and this tattoo, which he absolutely did not support either of those things. And then I believe that she went to say, you know, I'm going to go into the Navy. We think that she was going into the Navy because she knew that she would keep getting sucked in. And so I think she was essentially saying her goodbye. And that to him was a, well, no, no. What is it? If I can't have you, nobody will. And, uh, and this is where the first chapter of your book starts. Happy International Women's Day to everybody. I know the day has passed, but the theme for this year's International Women's Day was embrace equity. And I want to call attention to that because online you'll read that the intention behind that theme was to call attention to why equal opportunities right now are not enough. So if we right now, from this point forward, had equal opportunities, like all the white men in the world who've been making all these rules forever in our patriarchy of the society, came together and they're like, you know what, we're just not going to be inequitable anymore. You know, equal opportunities for all, period. It's not enough to just now be equal. Being equitable means uplifting women, uplifting minorities, empowering them, giving them more opportunity, watering this plant, fertilizing it. You can't just plant all the seeds at the same time when white males have a whole flourishing garden and we're starting with a little tiny pot of dirt. Equal opportunity is great, but it's not enough. So if you are not doing more, if you're not giving more opportunity, if you are not empowering, encouraging, if you're not bringing people with you, if you are not taking down the barriers that come between minorities and the success, you are feeding into the system. That historically and continues to discriminate, degrade, and oppress others. So embrace equity. Don't embrace equality. Because we need more than that. We need equitable things. We need to make up for lost time. She said she got the restraining order. She had plans to go to the Navy. She had plans. She had futures. She was excited about things, you know. A lot of what a Listen Up podcast is about is questioning biases, questioning stereotypes. What do you say to those ignorant individuals who would sit there and say, 
well, why, why, why was she with him? Why would she even go see him? Why she had the restraining order? Why did she do that? What do you do when you hear those things? What do you say to those people? You know, when you're on the outside, things look a lot different than when you're on the inside. And even though we were on the inside, we didn't really understand at that time that there was domestic violence. Like obviously when she came home with the punch die, we kind of got that. However, we didn't really understand the depths of what it meant. And so since then, what we have learned is when you're in a, a domestic violence relationship, they say on average, it takes eight instances before that individual kind of goes, oh, this is just maybe not a great thing I'm in. And it's your brain gets rewired while you're in this relationship. And we didn't, you know, we didn't necessarily see those signs, but again, she was 18. So it was like already kind of complicated just being a teenager, like all by itself. But yeah, so that's what we tell people is that for one, your heart wants what your heart wants. That's just, it is what it is. And so she thought she could save him. She thought, I mean, he was extra charming. He was also a bit narcissistic, which is a lot of the things that go within the domestic violence. You know, I get it because I have in my past been involved with people in domestic violence. And of course, my first thing is like, oh my God, get your shit and get out. And so I feel a little ashamed not ever researching or looking into it more and just having this quick, fast answer that just, of course, it makes sense on paper, but that's not necessarily how this situation is. And so I do think that we need to be bringing that type of awareness that it is not as easy as you think. And sometimes when they're in this relationship, they just, they don't necessarily see it as domestic violence. I think in some instances they take blame, you know, that they are the one causing this issue and, but then they're sucked right back in. It's kind of like they kick you in the shin and then they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I love you. And I think there's a lot of that. And so you're just, it's a messy place to be. And I just think that we need to do better, myself included, of not just saying these empty solutions without really understanding if it's a viable one. These biases, do you think that kind of culture impeded in any way the investigation or how anything went with law enforcement? Do you think that these biases were harmful? Not, I don't think it affected our investigation. I think it's affected our support groups and us through this because I can firsthand tell you that her best friend that um, dropped her off at the motel that night because we didn't know that, you know, her and her boyfriend were seeing each other. We don't know why she was going to go see him that night. That was, but her best friend, of course, carries this greatest guilt of all and oh, I feel so terrible for her. But it was the support groups around us that immediately just jumped at her of like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you make this phone call? Why didn't you tell the parents? All these things, instead of being like, your life is going to be messed up for forever with this guilt that you're going to carry. And somehow we need to be there to support you that it wasn't your fault. I think people also need to remember like, when do you ever think that's a murderer? Absolutely. When do you ever actually believe 
that someone in your circle, no matter how close or far, would actually be capable of doing something like that. I think definitely what I've learned from this is people are so quick. Okay, something awful happens. They can just flip a switch and, oh, I knew he was such a piece of shit. I'm like, did you? Because you seriously seem pretty chummy with them at the barbecue. And so loves to do that with mm -hmm. everything. Like me coming out as gay. Oh, I knew you were gay the whole time. Right. Oh, did you? You you know, you never never asked me a question. You know, you know, you never really pressed me about it. Oh, absolutely. We break up, even if it's a clean breakup. Oh, I never liked her. Absolutely. Yes, you did. You're full of crap. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it's just their defense mechanism that goes up. I'll tell you. So my girlfriend just the other day, she asked me, she was like, did your spidey senses ever say, did you feel like he was a bad kid? And I was like, no, because I black eye at least totally. And um, so it, it made me wonder a little bit about myself of like, because I really try to look at the world with, you know, best intention first, you know, I will give you respect before you earn it. And so I think because I look at the world like that, I don't know if I'd ever have a spidey sense of, oh, I think he's a murderer. Um, because you're a naturally empathetic person, only narcissists truly understand narcissists. Right. And they're so narcissistic that they would never admit to be a narcissist enough to relate to another narcissist. So they kind of live in silos. So as a naturally empathetic person, which is the normal average person who maybe, you know, didn't acquire those kinds of traits, wouldn't assume those kinds of things of a person. That's totally. a natural, why would we assume that of somebody? Like right. we're, we're taught to not judge a book by its cover, not make assumptions, at least, you know, the good of us. Right. So it doesn't, and spidey senses, you know, like, yeah, there's intuition, but like you said, she was 18. She right. was always changed. She was changing so quickly. You probably weren't, you know, she came home with the red hair and you didn't recognize her, you know? So right. there, I don't see how there could have been clues. It's a valid question for those who are on the outside looking in. You talked about how alluding it to Maddie, like we didn't give Maddie the support in that moment. And have you guys, do you have a relationship with Maddie now? Have you guys, yeah, do you guys close? And We are. Um, I leave the relationship where I'm a 100% support system for her. And, but I want it to be on her terms because I know that she deals with this guilt. And so I don't want to force or press upon her that I'm there because I know that sometimes when we have gotten together, she's definitely like, are you mad at me? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be mad at you for thinking I'm still mad at but that I was ever mad at you. Like I've told you a million times, I'm not mad at you. But I get why that would always be doubtful to her because she's in disbelief that I'm not because I think she's heard it from so many other people that maybe I should be mad at her or she's just so mad at herself. But so, yes, we we get together when um it works out for her and so i'm i just i do i really want to be there for her uh in in whatever way i can to support her that is so beautiful honestly and i'm sure that she's really grateful to have that with you 
did that same kind of guilt and those kinds of conversations impact any of your relationships or friendships during that time or maybe sometime later, maybe currently? You know, can, this experience will definitely change your address book. I think it's been more of just like the process of grief is where. So what we've what I've at least learned is, you know, the first year of grief, you're just so numb and you're so busy. At least I was trying to just get through every first, you know, the birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all these major things. And when you hit that one year mark. I literally was like. I made it a year like it was some competition and, and it's not just me. This happened a lot in our group that um, when we made it to that first year, a lot of our support group, they had already moved on where right. I was just really truly beginning to now start feeling things. Yeah. Correct. And so then this gap became, it just started growing because, you know, there's also that, we, I want to talk about her all the time, but a lot of people, they don't know how to talk about her. And so it's, right. then I'm like trying to teach them. And then there's, you know, either trying to learn or they're just like, mm, this is just too much. People didn't know how to support you in the way that mm-hmm. you would have needed. And those needs would have fluctuated and changes changed as well. What I think is really lovely is that you and Andy are together and that you and Andy like went through that together and are Mm -hmm. still here today. Tell me about that part of your, your marriage. Most couples don't make it through things like that. What would you, what advice would you give to anyone? Um, Not saying you're an expert, but you have more experience than others, but what would you say to maybe a couple struggling with loss and grief? What I think worked for us was, so we were on polar opposites on pretty much how everything could possibly go from like day one, our view of the legal system, our view of having to deal with grief, understanding that people grieve differently and having that under one roof where, oh, I'll just tell you, it was really awful. There was definitely a point where we thought we weren't going to make it, but we started counseling within like a month. And I was like, I think we really need to go. This is bigger than us. You have to stop, swallow that ego and say, I do not have a skill set for this. And how dare I say I do? Like, I just don't. There, there's... Want it. Who would want the skill set? Exactly. Right. And so I just think that people just have this assumption like, oh, yeah, I've lost a pet before. So this grief might be the same. So I know how to deal with stuff or I've been in tough situations. True. But this is nothing like that. And so when we went, of course, it was kind of like dragging him a little bit. He was just like, yeah, I'll go to support you. And I'm like, okay. And I was really hoping that over time he would be like, oh, this is very helpful and meaningful. And it did. It took some time for him to kind of lower that guard and open up. And I think that that's when we were able to look at each other and just say and admit we will never be the same ever whatever we knew not that it's gone but it'll never be the same every day every minute that we are together now it is a first and so we had to figure that out and say oh my god do I want to be with you and learn these firsts with you 
that was a big step for us. And then we started learning how to compromise and how to like validate, be a good listener. That's a real thing. And how to, I'm upset. I need to have 10 minutes. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to tell you I'm going to walk away, but then I'm going to schedule. I'm going to be back in 10 minutes. And then we're going to talk this through and to actually then follow through. So we learned a lot of good coping skills as couples, which I feel that people should just learn anyway. Don't wait for a tragedy to happen to learn this stuff. Do it ahead of time. But that is a huge line right there. Do not wait for a tragedy to go to therapy. Do not wait for a tragedy to learn coping skills. Don't wait. Go learn these things today because when you're in a place like I was, it is so much. It is just so much to learn how to be a grieving mother, a grieving wife, a grieving daughter, a grieving employee, and then just as a human and an individual and just to try to merge back into the real world because, right, like in my book, I say the bills aren't going to pay itself, so I need to learn how to go back to work. Yeah, it was just so much that um, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful in many ways of the things that I have learned, but I would really recommend. Yeah. I'm a big supporter of counseling and Andy will say that too. Once again, if you're wondering how to be an ally for women check out my last episode because we talked about how to be an ally segment. We also gave lists of what women's issues are and what women's issues are not. So check those out. You might learn some things and you might learn nothing, but a good reminder and a good feeling that, oh my gosh, there's a woman named Alyssa telling people to be an advocate and be an ally for me. Yeah, there are, girl. It's me. Her name's Alyssa and she has a podcast named Alyssa Up and she cares about you and she is your advocate. It's me. I got you, boo. Don't worry. Your book was only released a year ago, and well, in 2020, we're in 2023 now, and it was also released only one year after he was sentenced, Mm -hmm. and that made me really curious as I was reading. I was like, did you really sit down and articulate the past, or were you kind of collecting as you went and then referred back? Like, were you a journaler, you know? I just think, of course, these memories are ingrained in your brain, but the way you articulate just feels so in the moment. And it made me wonder, was she journaling? Like, is this your journal or? It started out as a journal. That's one of the things in therapy that, um, you know, they suggest. And so I did, I started journaling. I didn't really like journaling though. It's really messy and I'm not a messy kind of person. And so, um, what I did instead is I just was like, okay, and I'm not, my penmanship is just terrible. Let's just be real. So I was like, you know what? I use a computer all the time. That will just work better for me. So I was journaling on my computer and then it kind of fell off the radar for a little bit until I just had this one day at work with this coworker that I had punched in the face. And I mean that metaphorically, of course, but oh my God, and I got (laughs) home and I was just so pissed because he was challenging me about my opinion on the justice system which I didn't get to get a word in edgewise and I was like I'm sorry is this experience about you or is it about me but thank you and I was just so I was so pissed that it really fueled me because I what I've also learned along this journey is a 
because of the tragedy and the, the justice system, people, it's like talking politics. It just brings out a really ugly side to you know, people that you would have never, ever guessed that. And so I'm more the, I would like to listen and let you talk, right? And all of that. And then when it would kind of come my turn, I never got to say my turn. And so my journaling then kind of shifted to, I need a safe space to say what I need to say. And so that's when it kind of really became more lifelike. I was like, more like a book. And then, so I wrote probably a strong year, just kind of what was going on. And then it kind of fell off a little bit. And so then there was some more having to go back and reflect on things. So at what point in your journaling process were you like, this story doesn't have to just be for me? Because I think a lot of people who might relate to or have been through a tragedy probably think you're wild for sharing something like this. They're like, how could you go into these details and, you know, name people like Maddie and Allie and other people in the story? How, what do you, what was your reasoning for wanting to make it public? You know, I was telling a lot of my friends and my, my trusted circle when I really was like, maybe this should kind of be a book. And I was just kind of saying it, huh? When I would tell them a lot of the revelations that I was having and like how the process of writing was really challenging me because when you're writing something, I was like, I can't keep writing because I need to figure out what this, what am I supposed to be working through when I would, you know, be writing and face myself with a problem. And I'm like, oh my God. So then I would tell my friends and family about like what it was I was working through and like how writing would just do that. And they were like, oh my God, Tiffany, you really got to tell people about this. She's like, you've really changed my mind about X, Y, and Z. And I was just like, oh, you're just being nice. And, uh, <laughs> but I just kept hearing it more and more and more. And then when I was in, so we're part of the group, uh, Parents of Murdered Children. That was also a very supportive place that kind of put me over the hump of taking it, just keeping it for myself to like, these are for real people that this has happened to. And not only can I maybe help them, but I could help their support systems as well, because we would all definitely share a lot of the same experiences of things that we've gone through with people saying things or not saying things or falling off the radar and just all these life things that us in a group experienced. And so that's what really, I was like, you know what, I'm going to share this out loud. I made sure, you know, to ask my family, I'm like, do you guys care if I write about you? And they're just like, oh God, it's going to be great. And I was like, are you sure? Because I don't, I wouldn't want you writing about me. But <laughs> so I was really hesitant when I came to that point of like, now I'm going to publish it. You know, everything I wrote about somebody I did share with them beforehand and all of this, including Maddie, but she was my biggest concern about publishing it was just because of the non-support she received. I was like, oh gosh, I hope that this doesn't backfire and bring out ugly people again. But I do think that I was really hoping that it would encourage people to, you know, just be better and be more supportive. You put down that curtain because earlier, you know, we talked about people don't know 
it looks very different on the outside than it was in the inside. And mm-hmm. you yourself weren't even in, 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 but at least you were able to drop a curtain a little bit to hopefully, what I'm hearing is to hopefully build empathy. Exactly. Maybe get rid of that stereotype, get rid of that being the quick response. Absolutely. Anyone going through that does not want to hear that. Right. And it really touches me personally, um, your story and Allie's story. Um, you know, one of my sisters was heavily involved in domestic violence and it, it could have gotten to that point. It really could have. I mean, she came home one day and she was covered in scratches. And the guy had released a dog on her, his dog on her. And so she was jumping over backyard fences, like just trying to get away from this huge pit bull and somehow got to her car, calls my dad and uh, Brian, who you know, Mm -hmm. calls Brian, Brian goes over there. um, And he's like, then he calls one of us and he's like, she's coming home and you guys better act right. And so we're all like, okay, yeah, just like posing, like standing by the kitchen and pretending to hold a sponge. And it was just the wildest moment because she came in, just acted like everything was normal, walks in, just grabbed a sponge, went to the laundry room, grabbed bleach, and she just started scrubbing the floor with a sponge and bleach and we looked at each other and we were like me and my mom and we were like okay and we just started cleaning with her because we didn't know what else to do but we're here we don't know what to say but we're here and that wasn't even the last time it wasn't even the last time and I always get so grateful that it didn't get to that point because we were so scared that it would. And we, we knew it was happening, but she wasn't willing to make reports. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know, you know, we can't make a report on someone else's behalf. That's not a thing, which is so silly, by the way, but that's not a thing. (laughs) Like why, if I see a crime, I should be able to report the crime regardless if that person wants to report it. I saw it. (laughs) So it really hit home for me. I mean, we've talked before this interview about how your book is a beautiful outcome of a collateral tragedy. And I, since I watched that movie, I I use that term often, you know, there's these beautiful sprouts that grow when tragedy occurs. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that through your grief now and your process, which your process is never over, but I'm sure that you resonate with what I'm saying. And so I think my family and myself, like we personally really thank you for sharing that because I mean, this is the first time I've ever really talked about that (laughs) like (laughs) openly. So, and I was, I was in high school when, you know, seeing this kind of stuff and I was, I mean, I was pissed. I was like, you're a dumb, you're, you're, you're dumb. You're, you're this, you're that and blah, 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 blah. But a few weeks later when she called me, I was there. Right. 
but I was just mad. The anger is insane. The it level. is, and you feel you feel very, or you might you feel helpless. You know, yeah. like it's um in so many ways you're like damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I can say I would try not to yell at Allie. I'd try not to finger point. I would try to do like, like none of those things and just be like, man, you got to be smart about this, but I want you to be able to call me if something happens. Exactly. Andy's approach was like probably most dads where he was like, I'm just going to go beat him up. I'm going to take care of this. <laughs> All that does is push them away even further. As much as the dads feel, you know, empowered by their caveman-like tendencies, at least for us, Allie was just like, it pushed her closer to him. And we've now learned that, that, you know, maybe that's not the best approach, but that's kind of just what we're conditioned to do. And so I did, I felt very helpless in like, yeah, what can you do? I, I can't go file stuff, you know, it has to be all her. So I got to be supportive, but yet I, I want to be your mom. I want to be your friend. I want to be, you know, all those things all wrapped into one. And I had no idea what I'm doing. And at the same time, you're hearing people on the outside, just like make her break up with him. And I'm like, make her, she's an adult guy. Right? And then I, so I'd love to go. I love this idea. Tell me how, how am I supposed to do that? And then that oh, I love that comeback. That is a good one. Oh, please tell me how. Yeah. Right. And how. so then it's like, then they would just get really silent. And you're just like, yeah, I get it. This sucks. There's nothing I can do except try to talk with her, try to reason, not tell her what to do, but like ask everything in a question. So maybe that'll help her think about it, you know? Since 50 years ago, there were literally only white dudes sitting in the room making all the decisions for everybody in America. Look at us now. Look at me sitting here as a black, white, Mexican, Native American, lesbian woman. I have a great job. I'm sitting here making this amazing podcast, trying to empower women, not trying to, I do, we do, you can and do empower others every single day. So in a short amount of time, we have made astronomical progress as an American society. And I just want to give kudos to every single person who might not have been recognized. Every single person who did something small, just do it. Every single time that you acted as an ally for the last 50 years, if you were on this planet, I appreciate you because every single action matters, which is why I talk about advocacy and inclusion and empowerment every single day because it didn't take nothing to get to where we are. It does take correcting your friends, calling them out on bigotry behavior, calling them out on subtle behavior that might not be aligned with their core values. So if you're ever getting frustrated of just like, oh my God, like why do people always have to make everything a big deal? Because it is. It quite literally is a big deal. 
So Women's History Month, guys, right? Like, isn't Tiffany Stare also just hitting you with facts, 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 facts? Let's get back to that. Back to being a naturally empathetic person and back to people suggesting to control individuals. Only narcissists control other people. Like, only a narcissist would go and do that. Like, only someone who has control issues would go and do that. That's not normal to do. What could people do today, if anything, and, and maybe we don't know, and that's okay, but what could allies and women and underrepresented genders do to maybe be more aware or, I mean, I want to say prevent, but then I don't want to say prevent because how do you? So like, what do you say about that kind of advice? I would say that the best advice is to know yourself, learn about you, learn about what your strengths and your weaknesses are and make that a priority to be the best person that you can. Cause I think it has to start with you, you first it, um, because we're the, you have to be the one that shows up and you can't expect other people to come in and take care of it for you. That'd be awesome. But that's just not how the real world works. But I think a lot of people believe that. And I just think that if you do be your best you, somehow I think things for the most part are gonna be pretty okay. Um, Absolutely. I 1 million percent agree. Like something I always say is like, the more that we stop judging ourselves, we'll rid the world of judgment. Like we can only see what we can see in ourselves. So to your point, if I know who I am and I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses and I'm confident in that, then I know that no one can come in here into my space and try to change me, control me or try and tell me I'm something I'm not right. If someone were to come in here and say, Alyssa, you're boring. I'd be like, you don't even know me then (laughs) you must not know me because I'm the opposite of that. So I love that advice. I wish we could hug. I'm sad that this is virtual Tiffany. What the heck? (laughs) Anyone who is considering reading through her mother's eyes, surviving my daughter's murder, please do because yes, it's an emotional roller coaster, but I've never really felt all of those emotions in a book at the same time, like in one book, you know? So I think you did something really unique and really special and you should be really, really proud. I've just started uh, book number two going to be called I Still Talk to You. And I appreciate all the listeners worldwide being an ally and making women a priority this Women's History Month and every day of the year. A Listen Up podcast drops every other Friday, no longer Mondays, we drop every other Friday. We are on Spotify, Google, Apple, YouTube. At the end of this month, you will be able to access more content on listenup.com. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok. TikTok is a listen up official. 
Instagram is alisten.up. You're going to want to follow because on TikTok is really where I give daily tips, tricks, and funny stuff, guys. It's just a good time. Follow me on TikTok. Message me at any time for tips on allyship. If you are looking to interview on a Listen Up podcast or collaborate with a brand that values advocacy, inclusion, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and is sexy and spicy, hit me up. Thanks for listening and a listen up. A listen up.